and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons & Dragons and how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. With me again is my really, really lovely friend, a great person in general, it's John. Hello, John! Hello, Fiona. How are we doing? <laughs> it's like, oh no, she's so positive after an hour of already recording, and I'm like, yes, because we're, we're going to talk about your topic today. But yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Everything's as well as it can be being stuck in my own house <laughs> in the capital. The thing, we play Dungeons & Dragons. It's only sensible that we learn to live in dungeons. <laughs> a dungeon of my own design. That's true. That's true. <laughs> all we need now is dragons. Exactly. Well, how are you, John? What have you been up to? Uh, all is well. All is well. Too much writing. Uh, some 30,000 words in the last couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where sometimes you wonder if your keyboard actually can keep up with you. And it turns out it can, <laughs> but only just, which is you know, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You're not worn through it already. Like. <laughs> I, I've got a few of those, actually. Did a million <laughs> words back in 2014. I've got the keyboard as a battle memory over in the corner. Amazing. <laughs> most of the keys, not just WASD. All the keys are gone. Literally, nothing at all. No, you can't touch that. You can't use that keyboard. Forget it. No chance. This one still has keys that you can see, so that's okay. Oh, well, that that's good. That's good. Well, hopefully mm-hmm. by the end of 2021, you'll have uh, destroyed that one as well oh, while we were writing well, stuff. Too expensive. Too expensive. Fair enough. Yeah. HMRC does not believe that I go through a keyboard a year. <laughs> oh, man. Miscellaneous tax returns. Yeah. <laughs> so, John, what is our topic for today? What is our topic of choice? What are we going oh. to dive into? Well, I thought, and the thing that has always fascinated me is monsters. Mm-hmm. Creatures in, in particular, but monsters. What makes the monster? What makes the good monster? Why do we have more monster manuals than any other type of guide ever? And how, how many more can we possibly have? How many different types can we have? Why do you use monsters when you can use humans, elves, dwarves? Mm-hmm. Why, why do you need a dragon? When are you ever going to take on a Tarasque? Why is the alien scarier than all of them? Mm. Now, the book we're going to be looking through um, today for a lot of the things is uh, from Fate Forge. It's from the same people who did Shadows of Estran. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a phenomenal monster manual. It's, it's completely new things. Uh, I say completely new things. Quite a few of them are reasonably well-worn. But um, it's new takes on them, new artwork, new ideas. And I, I just like seeing other people's takes on, on how monsters are doing. For yourself, Theo, what do you think? I mean, when you've got a monster in a game, why, why do you pick that particular, I don't know, you use the word monster, I'm going to start using the word creature, because yeah. that's that's what they called it on this Fate Forge thing, it's called creatures, it's not called monster manual, it's creatures. Mm. Because inherently they're not, I mean, we talked last week about monsters, Frankenstein's monster, all the other ones, and it's, it's not really the monster, is it? Mm. Yeah. It's not the monster. Why do we need creatures? I, I think it's an absolutely fascinating thing, because, yeah, as soon as you say the word monster, you think, oh, something that's in your cupboard is going to get you. You need to get rid of it somehow. And the way I see D&D, certainly, and some role-playing games, it is always been to me, it is a combat simulator for a video game. So there's always going to be you versus them, and, oh, it's a monstrous creature. It's a, and now with Tasha's and everything, and we're trying to roll back the idea that you can play any creature you want, and they don't have to have this uh, alignment given to them. So I think going forward, using terminology like creature is actually a much better, more open thing, and rather than getting the negative. Because, yeah, I agree. Sometimes, certainly when I'm putting it into my campaign, 
campaigns and looking at the monster manuals from D&D, you see them and you're like, when am I ever going to face these creatures? And I think they are supposed to be like inspiration. You go, oh, you build your adventure around these particular things. Like you build the one shot around the Tarrasque. It's us versus them. You need to go sort the dragon out. I feel only recently with VIP edition has there now been more of a shift of focus going, well, there's also social interactions because let's face it, you know, you go in, you kill the dragon or try to kill the dragon, but they are smart. They're intelligent. There's um, a books by, uh, I'll get his name wrong, but Keith Adman or, or his blog where he goes, the monsters know what they're doing. Yep. And I think that is such, again, just all in that title. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. yeah. I'd read bits of the blog for when I've been trying to do and mm. put stuff together. It's like, well, how would the monster, you know, mm. in quotation marks, act in this situation? they'd probably yeah. flee they're going to use this and this and i just thought that was i, I like that I, we recommended it on this podcast before but yeah that blog the monsters know definitely. what they're doing is such a good yeah, thing no, definitely and how do you play something with super genius intelligence because mm. ain't one of us got that exactly <laughs> and then yet it's in there going you're playing something that's got super genius intelligence well the, the, the common thing is yet no problem at all so feel free to have solutions to things that the players just thought of why because you didn't think of it but that thing would have done it's like, yeah, that, that feels a little bit of a cop-out because you're just doing the whole, yep, no problem, I can nurse anything they do mm-hmm. because me being super intelligent, I'd have thought of that. Mm-hmm. And the simple answer is, yeah, but super intelligent doesn't make you super smart. Big not difference. You know, super intelligent on a variety of things, but not on players. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like sometimes as a GM, uh, you know, you, you help create the world and they're playing in it. Mm. And you facilitate. You know they're going to be unpredictable. And so mm. you're having to improvise and be a, almost in a reactive role. But then you have stuff like, um, I'm sure we'll mention them, but like devils, where they mm. always make bargains, but they're always going to try and put them into their best thing. Mm-hmm. You are one person against probably a group of five or six people who are going to be like, well, we're going to word it exactly like this. And you're there going, oh, no, give me five minutes so I can work out how to, <laughs> to respond. I always feel out of my depth when it says like these beings are super intelligent but it's that sort of thing where you have to act confidence and not show anything because that freaks out players more is that you go absolutely monsters the word you don't necessarily deem it as a word that is oh these creatures have high intelligence you just assume oh they are monstrous they there's no shred of humanity they're just killers Mm. Whereas actually, it covers a whole broad range of stuff. And that's why creatures, it is just an enemy or something that's opposite to you that you may need to fight, whether it's a social or into, mm. into a combat situation. So yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. fascinating. That's the curious thing about it, isn't it? When you look at the way it's been portrayed, particularly in not so much tabletop, but certainly in video games. Mm. You look at Diablo, you look at Torchlight, you look at all the other ones like that. And there's that moment where you said they're going, right, so what have I got to do to get in? I've got to kill all these monsters, nick all their gold, take all their goodies, sell them at town, get some more goodies, go out and kill some more of them, find some bigger ones, kill them. Mm-hmm. They look some bigger ones, kill them. It's like, yeah, but I can do that on a computer. And the computer does all the mechanics for me. It does all the special effects for me. It does everything else for me. I'm autopiloting. Yes. I, I love Torchlight. Don't get me wrong. I love that game. I think it's brilliant. But you know something? I can play it without thinking. Mm-hmm. To the point now where it, it's like, yeah, okay, I've seen it, I've done it, I know what that does, I know how to beat it. I've done, mm-hmm. I know what that does, I know how to beat it. Mm-hmm. And even in the newer games, like things like Hades, Bastion, things like that, mm-hmm. where it's they've upgunned all the AIs on those things, it's still followable to a pattern. Mm-hmm. It's not an intelligent monster; it's just a monster. That idea of, because um, again, all those games, certainly Hades is a, a solo game. And so, yeah, you work out like what's best for you. But when you're in a role playing game and you simulate a combat, you have to take advantage of the fact that you're not necessarily going first. You might have to support your allies. The environment will act against you and is unpredictable. And, that, and that's why I do prefer 
RPG combat to video game combat because like you said you just go on autopilot and you get frustrated at yourself but there's something terrifying when something goes wrong and you're like yeah. oh no my allies there are other people there there are other people working towards it and yeah, yeah. I just there's just something about combat in RPGs like it's one of my mini hates about D&D is sometimes it does feel like well here are all the numbers done mm -hmm. and you lose the flavor some of it yeah. um, but hopefully when we come around to when we do Pantheon I really mm. want to use because we've created such an, a beautiful vibrant mm. world I really want to get the environment into every combat yeah. whether it's social or actual yeah. combat into an encounter I think that's the thing though isn't it it's, it's for me I've seen a lot of games and running conventions as I do you see so many games and while people are doing the talking stuff the dice aren't out the couch shoot ain't up but the phone is mm -hmm. and the emails are being checked mm -hmm. and the facebook is being checked and the twitter is being strolled but they're not really concentrating and then someone says and the monster steps out bang down goes the phone up come the dice bang i'm in i'm ready i'm good i'm going i'm ready mm. what are you playing this for mm -hmm. why are you doing this why are you playing this game i mean seriously you know write in with comments readers because we know we'd love to know but <laughs> You know, why are you playing this? You could go on the computer and do that, and it'll do it for you. You're around the table with people. The meat of this is the bit where you're talking to other people, you're going through problems, you're solving things. It's not the bit where you've got the D20 out and you're rolling to hit. Absolutely. And if it is, why are you playing it? Mm. The segues into the idea of the different types of monsters. Mm. As we said, I mean, I'd, I'd like to go through the three different ways, if, if I can. Of course. The, the low level, the, the medium challenge, and then the what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. And why the hell was it anywhere near me? And so the low-level things, your kobolds, goblins. We had a conversation earlier on about the Tucker's kobolds, which any of you players in the same generation as me, I know you'll understand what I'm on about there, but um, for those who are younger, and that's most of you these days, um, <laughs> but for those of you who are younger, Tucker's kobolds, look it up on the internet, it was a group where a group of very high-level players who got bored because they were beating everything because it came up in a straight fight and it just beat them, and it wasn't a problem. Whereas... They came across these kobolds, half-head dice apiece, no threat whatsoever, and these kobolds spanked them. <laughs> no other word for it, because they were played smart. So they had, they'd be walking down going, it smells of oil in here. I, what's this? Why has that kobold got a flaming, flaming what? <laughs> what? What happens? Yep, we're all scolded. What happens next? No problem, find some water. There's some water down there. Fantastic. Let's run down there. You get in the water, you can't get out again. And in the quiet words of Luke Skywalker, there's something rubbing against my leg. <laughs> what? Oh, dear. But half hit dice against 15th level characters, they shouldn't have lasted a tenth of a second in a straight fight. Mm -hmm. These made a difference. Mm -hmm. So the first question here, Fiona, is what do you think the most interesting thing about the lower level creatures should be? Ooh. I appreciate that's out of left field, so apologies for the... Uh, yeah, ah, interesting. Well, let's see. I guess for me, again, when you're playing lower levels, I, I've played, I've ran through quite a few sort of lower level starter ones. So, like, for example, uh, you've got the uh, Lost Mines of Fandelva. The mm. first encounter you have is like, oh, there's a broken carriage on the road. Oh, it's a goblin attack and stuff. And, and it always is like goblins and stuff to mm. get through, like, to go through the motions, I guess. Yep. To have something like that where they are... I don't want to say organized but like you said playing smart using the environment towards them that is something and i think when we talked about video games and stuff you tend not to use the environment or it's not an environmental attack that happens mm. in the video game it's usually a spell or like a mm. i don't know rock throw so i think for me lower level i i would say usually because there's more of them 
because mm. they probably outnumber the players like one to three or something like that. Mm. If they're able to sort of get round and put the players into a position where they can't win well, either one of them dying, they have to bargain for something. Yeah. I, I, that for me would be the thing, I think. Mm, definitely. And that's the other thing as well, because what's the problem? The biggest problem with the monster manual. Now, I'm not going to ask you that one straight away as well, because I know what my answer is. I've, I've thought about it for years. But <laughs> what's, what's the problem, if any, with having monster manuals that players can look through? Oh, well, then I do know the answer to this. And I've, I found this in every single game of d and I've ever played. If I just give them the straight flavour of something and say, oh, it is a mimic, I have players who know exactly what they can do, what their armour class is, what the hit points is. And as a result, they will subconsciously, I would say, they won't necessarily do it aloud, but they will metagame and be like, right, oh, this is his way. Uh, well, I'd like to think that they try not to, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. You've played a lot more games of and conventions oh, I, I'm just very nice <laughs> but it's true like I think because I don't commit these things to memory but I know like there are certain things about dragons because we've done an episode on dragons that I'm like okay those are things not to be dealt with but they are smart they will beat pretty much any check I throw at them if I was a, a wizard of some sort mm. uh, so I need to conserve my spell slots and stuff like that and it gets to a point where you could throw the same monsters or creatures at them and they'll know how to deal with them and it's not a surprise anymore because mm. they've got access to these things they can look them up and do it in their own time even in real time because obviously we've got D beyond now you've got pdfs of these things mm-hmm. you can just quickly look in the break and you'd hope that they don't they wouldn't do that because you're in the middle of combat but it's it's easy there to do it and as you said mm-hmm. it's it's a temptation so yeah absolutely they can just look it up and commit it to memory for next time i'm curious enough that's exactly what i was going to say as well <laughs> and, and here's the thing though the thing there is how much should we step outside of that as games masters Mm. should we be immediately stepping out of that? Well, I'm going to take the example of a different game here, being Alien. And you, you look at Alien, and, yep, fair enough, no worries. There's no player in the world that can't metagame that. They sit there, and the minute that black carapace git turns up, you run. Unless you've got a gun, in which case you shoot it. Except in that game, shooting it really doesn't work that well. Mm-hmm. It just goes, what? I've, I've got natural armor, loads of it. It's like, what made yeah, that noise? watching Aliens. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm the one from Alien. I'm the one you can't kill. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that that's the perfect example of it. Alien, they didn't know what they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. They thought they were dealing with a small Wrigley thing, and then it was this gigantic humanoid. And you're like, right, I've got no idea what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. You can't fight it. You can't beat it. Round two, those Marines had the monster manual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they looked at it and they went, eh, vulnerable to 10 mil armor-piercing caseless. Fantastic, let's get some of that. Straight in, job done, thousands of aliens wiped out. Not even a thought. They weren't a threat anymore. Alien 3. There's a new one. We haven't read the monster manual. Oh, God, we're all going to die. Perfect. But that's the thing. How much of this should we do? I mean, I wrote a game, Quest, and in that, none of the creatures have fixed statistics. None of them. All of them have a range of statistics, a range of abilities, a range of other things. So you can't just say it's one of those. Mm. It's this. You'll beat it this way. Because if they've engineered it just slightly different, it could be completely different. And in the mid-range, when you've got creatures that can reasonably take on players one-to-one, you then start asking the question, do I put the same number in there? If you're dealing with a Minotaur, for example, it's only going to be the one of them, no problem at all. Mm-hmm. Owlbears, likewise. I love owlbears, if anyone here mentions. <laughs> I love owlbears, it's always the way. But then you're into orcs, trolls, things like this. Mm-hmm. Then you get to higher levels, basilisks, balettes. How many of these do you find in groups? Mm-hmm. They're not, are they? They presume that you'll encounter one of them. 
It's solitary. You've got a chance to beat it. What happens if it's two of them? Not just Medusa, but Medusa. Mm. Oh, dear. And how do you make it interesting when it is that? Because if there's only one of them, you can, your players have the advantage immediately. Mm. You have numbers, you have range, you have tactics, you can do whatever you like. You're dealing with one monster, and it's not one of the massive ones, which will come to the men's, but you're dealing with one monster. It's a regular-sized monster. It's a good one, troll, mm. something like that. How do you use those effectively when the players have got the numbers? Mm-hmm. It can't just be brute strength. It can't rely on the abilities. It has to use the terrain. Even if it's not intelligence, it knows the area. It's got to know the area. It wouldn't be in the area if it didn't know it. Mm. If it's an animal, how does an animal become a credible threat when you've got characters with intelligence? You know? And, yeah. and this, is, this is it for me. Um, your thoughts on medium-sized creatures? I thought some medium-sized creatures uh, that, well, it's, you know what, that actually brings me on quite nicely. I, so I was thinking to myself, like, one thing with video games and stuff, you get to a point where it, there's a depiction of something and it's no longer scary. And that's where, you know, like I said before, if you say, oh, it's a mimic, people will get that picture of like, oh, it's it's a chest and with lots of teeth, blah. Yep. But like you said, you can see it. I recently have been playing a lot of crafting games, like sort of like social crafting games. So you've got like Raft or something. Yep. I've been playing Grounded, which is essentially mm-hmm. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And my goodness, that I am very glad they have a arachnophobia mode on that um, to to reduce the spider size. I'm not I'm not a big fan of spiders. No. And up until this point, I really struggle with like working out sizes. Like when we did the episode on giants, I mm. until I had the actual sort of like, well, this giant is about the size of the building I'm in. I'm like, mm. oh, I can now visualize that. I couldn't visualize yeah. it before. These spiders in Grounded, like you are shrunk down to the size of an ant. And of course, ants are different sizes. Of, but when you're like, oh, the ants are like that, my size, you think, how big is a wolf spider compared to you? Turns out, John, it's massive. Mm-hmm. And it is awful. And when you're in the dark and you can just hear something behind you screaming, yeah. turn around, there's something with a lot of legs running straight for you. That's the kind of fear we want in our game. So yeah. like when I think of a, now a medium-sized creature, that's as tall as me, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit taller, that actually is quite terrifying. And and it's no longer, you're no longer separated from a screen like you would be mm-hmm. on a video game. So my sort of big point about this is that as soon as you mentioned, oh, it's a mimic or this, like that, people go, oh, this is the representation in the book. And actually the Fate Forge stuff, what's really interesting is that there's different depictions mm-hmm. of the creatures in there that are very inspiring. And you're like, ah, it's slightly different to what people would say. And you could show the image or you could just flavor it in a certain way. So you could describe mm. what something has in terms of mimic-like uh, characteristics, but you don't say the word mimic. And then yeah. people panic because then they're like, well, what, mm-hmm. what, what, what is it? Because you, you've not said the magic word. When it comes to medium-sized creatures, I would definitely like be like saying, it's as tall as you right now. And then just still describe the same characteristics, just never mention its name and yeah, see if I people- love that right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's that moment of it's as tall as you are now. Mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. You just have that moment where they go, what do you mean right now? That's it. They're on the defensive. Yeah. Gotcha. You're thinking right now. There we go. No problem at all. Perfect. Go back to my game momentarily. But the whole thing with that, and I showed you the monster manual earlier on with it, but I don't detail what the creature looks like. Mm. If it's a harmless creature, not a problem. Person sits down, draws it, no problem at all. It's a completely fully fleshed out image. It looks Perfect. That's exactly what it looks like. You know why? Because it's harmless. The dangerous ones, you'll probably see the front end of it, maybe the back end of it, but that'll be it, because that's all the person stayed around to sketch. (laughs) If you've got a dangerous creature, yeah, you know something? You might see what one of its hands looks like. You might see what a claw looks like. You might see what its teeth look like. But 
out there in the wilderness when this person's stepping there with a sketchbook going, yeah, that looks interesting. Like, no, that looks hungry, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know something? No, no, I ain't going to sketch this in four colors. It ain't happening. There's no way. No, it's got a claw. That looks bad. It's got teeth. Done. Nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Goes back to the place where they, they, they file all their reports on these creatures and goes, yep, it's got teeth and claws. Mm-hmm. Send a bigger party than me to sit there and hold it off while they draw it. <laughs> yeah? But otherwise, you ain't never going to know what these things look like. Because mm-hmm. who stayed around long enough to paint the buggers? Mm. It doesn't happen, does it? Now, don't get me wrong. I think that the whole the visual stimulus to these things, and certainly the fate for the, the new stuff that they've got, the pencil drawings and the outlines everything else, mm. it's fantastic, wonderful, evocative. Mm-hmm. But then you're losing that moment of, but you don't know what it is. And back to the 10 mil caseless. If you know what his weakness is, the worst mistake they ever made in Cthulhu is they gave him stats. Mm. To give it stats, it's, it's, what was it now? Let, let's just preface Predator for a second, but if it has stats, we can kill it. Yeah, that's literally it. Because as soon as you give it something, it's able to be changed by the players. Mm-hmm. And certainly in Call of Cthulhu, the idea is that if you're attacking something, then you are already dead. Yep. There's no way you're getting out of this. You need to run. So yeah, absolutely. There was a game, I can't remember the name of it now, but the idea, it focused on adventuring parties, almost like a, a Westerland March one. So you're part of a huge guild and you go dungeon delving and that is your mm-hmm. job. It is a terrible job. It's nothing glorious about it. You're just excavating. Anything you find goes back to the guild. It is your life. It is a bit like you know, coal miners in a sense. And all the images, all the illustrations are just things coming out of the dark and it's just horrible things. It's only oh it's half a face but it's three times as big as you yeah better get out of there you know and yeah i'd like the idea that you are doing this sort of thing like you said having a a book that's written from an almost like a first person account and this is something that i guess the players could look at as well and they're like oh wow you know this is part of the history it's something immersive that's not necessarily here is a game manual for you all to look at i guess this is like a part of the story yeah. as well and I, yeah i love that idea of having that that yeah like you said like you just don't stay around because you're probably nope. dead yeah yep. they found this book next to a pile of bones <laughs> you know it, it looks a little bit out of order yep mm-hmm. it does oh lots no. of blood on it yeah <laughs> there's a slight tear in this page here i'm not too sure why mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. there's, there's a little bit where it says not like this you know mm-hmm. and, and things like that and one of the most evocative games that i ever played and it was for the players. I was the GM, and I didn't get involved pretty much at all in the whole game. But what they did was they were they were traveling with a circus, and they found this creature. It looked semi-humanoid, and what happened was this semi-humanoid creature, it's all furry. I took it from a, a story called Killer by Carl Edward Drake some years ago. And as they approached it, it reached out, and using its claw, it wrote the words, One of Us, in the side. <laughs> and the players looked at it and went... Oh, God, it's, it's sentient. I, oh, God, they've caged this thing. I don't know. Oh, those bastards, what have they done? And they had a big disagreement. I'm sitting there in the background going, this is fantastic, no problem yeah. at all. Marvelous. No problem, I'm just going to sit here and watch. And they agreed that they'd set it free. And so they set it free, and it proceeded to go on a rampage. Yeah. And it went out there, it killed everything. <sighs> so they hunted it, and they hunted it, and they hunted it, and they hunted it. And they caught it. And this, this is on the days when you could play over the whole weekend. So eight hours later, they'd hunted <laughs> it, they caught it. Yeah, they'd wounded it, so it was dying. And then they realized that they were surrounded by it. Oh, God. And they looked, and they went, oh, God, this is how we die. And as they came down, and these other creatures all surrounded in on them, and they saw this one creature on the floor, and it was still tracing one of us with its claw. And the elder of these other creatures, the same creatures, killed it. And then with its finger wrote not in front of it 
Whoa. And the players just went, ah, oh, oh, God. And I went, yep, and that's where we'll leave it. <laughs> but, yeah. Got you. Perfect. But my God, were they into that? There's that whole thing of, oh, God, we thought it was a good thing. And we set it loose. We've, we've got to go put it back in its cage. We've got to do something else. What do we do? And then find out, yeah, this isn't the example of these creatures. This, mm. is, the, this is the lunatic. Mm-hmm. This is the one that's, this is the not good one. Mm-hmm. But it's just that little not. Oh, just made the whole difference. Just that little twist. Yeah. Little tiny thing, but it's all you need when players suddenly go, ah, right, are we ever setting anything free again? Nope. Mm. Nope. Staying in its cage. That's what's happening. Simple <laughs> as that. I don't care. It could recite Shakespeare at me. It's staying in a cage. I don't care what it's doing. Yeah. But it's that example of how you can actually make them real mm. in more ways when you appeal to it. Because the second it's got any sort of characteristics that the players can share with it, they can identify with it. Mm-hmm. It becomes not only infinitely more scary, but infinitely more relatable to it. And that in turn, it ups the emotional ante. Yeah. That, of course, brings me to the uh, the bugbear in the room, so to speak. <laughs> not a bugbear, because it's nowhere near as small as bugbear, but <laughs> gigantic creatures. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, because for me, I've never used one. No. Never seen the point. The only time I've ever encountered a dragon in the entire of my time playing D&D mm-hmm. was the first game I played, with an inexperienced GM, I think we were all about 11 at the time, and we were adventuring, and we went up there, and we went up the mountains, and this ancient golden dragon with all its treasure, and it didn't want to kill us, so it flew away. At which point, one of us went, don't gold pieces equal experience points? Mm-hmm. Which one of us went, I think they do, actually. They went, right, fantastic. Are we standing in amongst a mountain of gold? We are, aren't we? Fantastic. No problem at all. What level am I now? <laughs> yeah, we'd ignored the whole only gain two levels at once thing. No, 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 no. 25th level everyone, there's no problem oh, whatsoever. Gosh. Here we go, check it out, who's the man? And yeah, there's that thing of, maybe we didn't play that entirely fairly. No. But I've never encountered one since. Mm. I've never got to that high enough a level where it would have been an appropriate foe. And um, I've got the idea of the epic monster cards here, and I'm looking through them all going, how many years would you have to play before you really encountered one of these things? Yeah and could face it without the GM giving you a hand. Yes. You know, the Tarasque. What's it good for? Mm. Your thoughts? It's interesting. So we've talked about, on this podcast, we talked about, uh, we did a Epic Monsters combat mm. one. We talked about the Tarasque. We mm. talked about the Astral Dreadnought and Zariel. Mm. And I think Zariel is a special case, I would assume, for this, because obviously that's pertaining to Advernus anyway, which is full of horrific things anyway. So if you're facing Zariel, then you're pretty much gone i think in my books <laughs> but yeah because you have to specifically go there for zarya astral dreadnoughts and tarasks to me if i was ever ever going to use them it literally would be a one shot to be like okay build me your best level 20 characters and we'll do it like that it just feels like, like you, we've talked about this before it, it feels like okay we want this because we can and you look through your recipe book of the monster's manual and you go mm. "Ooh, i want to do these ones, okay, I will make a story around them. And yeah. it is. it becomes just a counter, encounter, encounter, encounter as a result. To, to ask, sound, it's like, wow, on paper, that sounds fun. It sounds boring to run for combat because yeah. you just constantly saying to the players, nope, doesn't work, nope, oh, it bounces back off you, you know, all yeah. that sort of thing. It becomes, for me, because I feel like combat should, every 
every hit, every action you take should matter, have an impact, should be meaningful. And I say this as someone who's had total party kills, who's been on the opposite side and you're Mm. panicking. I I mean, I love stress in a D&D game. My face might not show it, but I am invested as a result. If this creature, if if I'm doing nothing, if, if I can't do any hit on it and it's just creaming the rest of my party, it's not fun. At least if I'm doing something to it, if any sort of damage, then I feel like I have a chance. Otherwise, I would be the one to run away. And I think quite a lot of the time, players don't realise that you ca- the option is to run and you yeah. can't win every fight. Again, with the way previous editions have been, it's like, oh, this is equal to this much experience points, so you should mm. kill these characters in order to, to level mm. up. Obviously now, it's like it's you can do either or, either XP or story milestone. Mm, milestones. Characters. Yeah. And Such so, a good idea. It, oh, it's it, it's revolutionary because then yeah. it gives them that choice. You, it's almost like in like yeah. Undertale in the sense it's like mm-hmm. you don't have to kill everything that you no. come across. You don't have to be a murder hobo. There was um, a game I ran recently called The Land of Eam, which is very mm. high fantasy and stuff, and they have in their sort of order of uh, combat the people who want to talk to the creature first get that chance then they get uh, doing an action that's not an attack so do you want to use the environment do you want to just get behind something or whatever then you have the option to run and then you have the option to fight. And yep. the, what's very important is that the people who try and talk or, or bargain with the creature, they'll get possibly one go, two goes at it. So it's not like as soon as you start attacking it, you're like, oh, well, I want to try talking to it now. Yeah, that's gone. You've had your chance at the top of combat. Yeah, uh, the weapon, that's it. It's very hard to come back from that. And I think that sometimes mm. that's what happens sometimes in the, our encounters is that mm. you're, you're fighting, you're losing, you're like, stop, stop, blah, 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 blah. And, and you say mm. something and then, oh, you just happen to roll really high on your persuasion thing. And you're like... They stay their hand, they're listening, mm. and then being able to talk away out of a situation. I, you know, I don't think RPG games are like real life, but there should be mm. some realistic things. Like if I've attacked a creature for several rounds and then I'm like, no, wait, don't, we should be friends. That creature's gonna buy it. You've just hit me for like mm. 50 points of damage. Like, I remember the, um, there's an example. It's um, the beginning of the Laundry Files, mm. uh, Gareth Hanrahan, marvelous bit of thing. So no problem at all. Just be wary of players. <laughs> Sometimes they have the wrong way of looking at things. It says, well, you know, this orc has a go at you. It's right, okay, no worries. So wait, wait, let's let's talk about this. Let, let's discuss things. Let, let's talk about poetry. And rolls fantastically on the persuasion roll. And the orc pauses and goes, well, I suppose we could talk about that. And then it starts to go to this one. And the player goes, right, so is he talking about Shakespeare? And GM goes, yes. Goes, right, I stab him. It's like, yep, that's... Those players I've ever met. Yep. <laughs> what have you done? You're talking about Shakespeare. Fantastic. No, <laughs> this is not the way we should do it. No. But yeah, for me, massive creatures, mm. immense world-ending creatures. I've got a separate example I'll come back to in a moment. But for me, the only point they're becoming, they're, they're scenery. They're not opponents, they're scenery. They're yeah. just, it's the whole, we went for looking for a creature. We went hunting the Tarasque. <laughs> there it is, no problem at all. And uh, you're hunting the Tarasque. And you go all around this terrain, and you look around everything, and you can't find it. It's nowhere to be found. So they're thinking, what the, how the hell can we miss a terrasque? <laughs> and as you stand still for a second, and you're looking around the scenery for a while, you suddenly realise that the scenery is going past. Mm-hmm. Was that moment of, ah. We're stood on it. <laughs> oh, chaps. Um, you, you know something? I think we may have made an error here. Um, how's that? Because, um, yeah, look down. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing. I mean, they did... Um, there was another book that was a perfect example of this. It was called Belly of the Beast mm. uh, by Ben Dutton. Um, independent game, marvelous idea. And the idea was that there was a creature, the beast, that had eaten your world. Crunch, gone. 
and you're now living in its stomach. Oh, wow. And it's that large, it's that unbelievably massive that it's consumed your world and you're now living in its stomach. And generations, because it's so large, have been living in its stomach. Horrific as a concept, but it does demonstrate perfectly well, what do you do when you come up against one of these things? Well, you lose. Yeah. You, know, you go from being called, you know, Archon the fighter to begin becoming lunch. <laughs> And yeah. what do you do with that? Yeah. You come up against Tiamat. Seriously? Unless you're, you're you know, six pucky teenagers, I'm afraid Tiamat's going to beat you. It's the <laughs> end. That's it. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Is there a small guy in a red shirt? No. Guess what? You ain't coming home. And what can you use these enormous creatures for? What you said about the belly of the beast, again, back to the astral dreadnought. Obviously, mm. as soon as it eats you, you're deposited in a different sort of little dimension, which you can't escape from unless yeah. you you're through a wish spell or something like that. So, yeah, absolutely. I think for me, looking at these big creatures that you're fighting, mm. we do need to have sort of say like, this is a story we're telling that, yeah, we are playing characters or heroes that are maybe they are special because they are the focus of this story doesn't mean they're all powerful even if i we talked i've talked about this before when you get to level 20 it's like well now what and the consensus well that's the consensus that me and ryan came to was that you go into advent (laughs) you you are running your own estate you're not out adventuring anymore (laughs) you retire because you've reached the top of it and whether adventuring is a young person or an old person's game that's that's by the by once you're that level it's like well there's not much else you can do and these big creatures even at 20 level they are a a hard or deadly fight Mm. i feel like it's not something that you could just oh plonk here's another one another day you know, another dollar, etc. another yeah. dragon to fight. So, yeah, I think when you're choosing creatures that are, you know, gigantic or something like that, you need to think, like, is this a world-ending mm. encounter? Is this going to end your thing? Because yeah. that's what it's going to be. Game, is this the end of the game? Is this the end boss? Exactly. Because yeah. there's no coming back from that. Because obviously, yeah. presumably, quite a lot of your players will die. And it's like, right, that's the end. Like, so you can't, I feel that's, I always feel like either you're going to have them as a, a simple one-off, one-shot things where you built it up very thinly and it's all about the, the combat itself or mm. literally it is the end of the campaign and you can only yeah. pick one for that. You can't have multiples of these mm. gigantic creatures. Although I did see there was like, um, someone was running like the planet of the Tarasks, which had like, yeah, I didn't look at it too, too much detail, but it sounded like... Super, I, come on. <laughs> it, it, it sounded, I, I thought they must have followed the title before they put the concept together. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounded like you had to fight multiple Tarasks and yeah I don't know I, <laughs> I, no idea it's it, like I said title sounds great I oh. wouldn't play in it it sounds very stressful idea. maybe it's this curse where all the Tarasks are actually miniatures so they're all the size of Ooh. so you've got farmer Tarasks and fighter Tarasks and that, that's mage cool. Tarasks and all sorts of other goodies and, and you know would you fight a, a cobble sized Tarask or a Tarask sized cobbled <laughs> Equally terrifying, you know, it's just that moment of, right, okay, yeah, actually, you know something, I I believe that size is on its side, (laughs) you know, you're never going to be at a situation where, I mean, go back to the the epic monster cards, I'm not going to go through those and go, yep, no problem, so this week you will be facing this, Yeah. because at that point, I'm playing Torchlight, literally, I've I've turned up so you can make a load of dice rolls and beat something. sort of moving on a little bit so the fate forge and this, mm. you know what one thing you thought you were going to ask me was like what was it that i would change about the monster manuals of that mm. monster manual i would not have it in alphabetical order because 
I can't find anything in that. Like, that's unhelpful. And what's great about the Fate Forge stuff is that it does it deliberately. Like, here are encounters in the free city, things that you're mm-hmm. going to find here. And yeah. then you put it in sort of groupings of like, Believer, citizens, soldiers, etc., and then animated objects because these are in the libraries and stuff. And that is just so much. I found that so much more helpful to yeah. plan reasonable, in quotation marks, encounters. Like these are things that they're going to face. But the monster manual, because it's in alphabetical order, and I don't know if other if previous monster manuals did this either. But it's just like yeah. there's something about always al- alphabetical. Oh, it just it drives me nuts because like I understand like dragons and then having the different mm. subclass of dragons. Yeah, fine. fine, devils, demons, fine, but. It's just like, why is this not like, oh, you're going to, to this plane? Here are all the ones you can encounter here. Just because then yeah. you can, you don't get this overwhelming thing of choice. And then, like I said, you go, oh, I want to put these creatures together. And you're like, well, yeah. you now have to justify why the players yeah. are meeting these things. I mean, D&D Beyond does have something on, the, on those lines where it says, actually, you know, what type of creature do you want? This. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to encounter it? Here. These are your choices. I found that when I was building the scenario earlier, I thought that was invaluable. Mm-hmm. Just that moment of, yep, no problem at all. This, so the here, this level, this, bang. Here are a selection of monsters that could come in useful. And then it has the multiplier table in there where you're going, yep, no problem, you can do this, 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 this. Yeah, going back to the Fate Forge thing, I like the idea that there were categories and ideas. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that there were I mean, you know, encounters in certain areas, encounters in other points. It's specific to the world that it's designed in, which is fair enough, no problem at all. But it's not hard to look at that and think, actually, what can you do with that? So steps and pine forests, no problem at all. Mm. You may encounter a basilisk. Creatures of the night, everything from bats to zombies, no problem at all. No danger, everything in between. Winter in the far north, werewolves. Why are werewolves in the winter in the far north? Because they exist up there. Mm. No problem at all. They're not found anywhere else. They're creatures of cold. Why? Because they're not cold. Not a problem for them. Perfect. And yet a lot of people place werewolves in cities and mm-hmm. towns. And it's like, why? Why would a werewolf be in a town? Mm. be somewhere else surely be doing something else and I like the idea that it was actually placed in an area and it was it was noted as uh, yeah no problem you may find it here you may not mm-hmm. in the laboratories and in the libraries under the sun's rays I love the description of that mm-hmm. under the sun's rays it's that moment of yeah perfect where will you find it broad daylight fantastic no problem yeah. at all yeah. and then how to use them I like the idea that it had and this is the one that got me most of all. It's page 82 or thereabouts. Nemesis. Mm, I did see that. Do you want As to describe that? Tech, yeah. It's wonderful. How do you make an NPC into a nemesis? How do you make it something that will go after the players again and again and again and again? And then the wonderful thing, a PC turned nemesis. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. At the point at which you realize that PC, that player's gone too far. That character's off on the dark side. It's got the dark glove on. It's gone down there. It's gone. What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. It's so nice. Again, I know it's all about finicky little bits of language and terminology, mm-hmm. but nemesis over villain. Because yeah. obviously villains don't see themselves as villains. They see oh. themselves as doing their own agenda for Absolutely their own good. Heroes. And I just, yeah, I just thought that was, I, it's, it's such a small thing. And I, I'm so glad more and more books are looking at this terminology and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sort of off track a little bit, but <laughs> it's because I've mentioned them so much, but mimics. Um, yeah. Here, it's something that in this fate portal, it's something you create and the process of creating them. And like, I, again, I hadn't really considered that they could be like a, a manufactured thing. And yeah. uh, I just loved that. I thought that was really cool. And I, they can be controlled to a certain extent, but that costs extra. <laughs> it's just like, oh no. The other one I, I wanted to point out was, uh, again, the sort of the imagery of this was great. It's just the house. It's called the house. Yeah. And it's just, again, this entity that just lives 
in a village. And so for me, I, I was getting stuff like uh, in Curse of Strahd, you have the death house, yep. which is obviously that's where people come into sort of Curse mm-hmm. of Strahd to level something that doesn't have to be the focal point of a story. Just like there's a house there, but nobody ever looks at it or mentions it. And you, and you mm. go, why? You go, don't, don't worry about it. It's like for That's me, the worst that, that could happen. Well, yeah. Well, there was um. I, again, this is that sort of creepy pasta s moment. But there was mm. uh, someone who who was like, "Oh, I am a forest ranger in the, the deep darks of America. Here are some of the stories I've heard, and you hear about people going missing and then, be, mm. but their bodies being found up trees and all that sort of thing." But my favorite one that gets the most comments on it is just like, "If you ever find a staircase in the middle of the woods." Whatever you do, don't go up it. And these mm. could be just like normal stone staircases. They could be actual ones out of houses. And it's just a thing where they go, just don't go up it and just don't don't even think about it. You're like, mm. why? <laughs> There's a staircase yeah. in the middle of the wood. Yeah. And I just, I, that, that for me is like the perfect amount of like, here it is. You're going to go up it. And the players, you know, a player could go up it and nothing happens. But I like the idea. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I just love it. But it's a player. How, do you, a player. how do you get a player to drop themselves in the crap? It's not hard, actually. Just mm-hmm. go, don't do this. <laughs> they go, really? Why? What happens? You, you're not going to tell us? No. No, I'm not going to tell you a thing. No. There's a Enjoy. staircase right over there. It's just, it's just there, out the corner of your eye. The banister. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to roll spot him. There it is. It's right there. <laughs> They've got a section in the back of this book where it says how to use different types of creatures mm. and how they would be used, how they wouldn't be used, how you, you've got to think about how they're going to do it. The comment there is, you know, celestials, more often than not, neutral. Mm. But actually, that's closer to disinterested. Ooh, I Perfect. like that. It's that wonderful moment of, no, it's, it's not that we're neutral, it's just we don't care. <laughs> we just don't care. You don't exist on a level that bothers us. Why would we interact with you? And it's that moment of, yeah, no problem at all. You see a bunch of ants in the garden, there's that brief minute of, unless, you know, you've got a certain curiosity about ants, or you're a small child, unless you see these things... You won't go and investigate them. You won't go disturb them in what they're doing. You'll just go, yep, no problem, off they go. Likewise, there's the dragon flying overhead while loads of people are adventuring underneath it. It's going, yep, okay. Mm-hmm. And I liked where games like Shadowrun brought that into the fore, and you had dragons playing major roles in the campaign because they were also mm-hmm. heads of companies. And I mean, there was a story in Dragon Magazine years ago, um, and it had the story of these adventurers turning things into the same can't remember. I've got to find which number of Dragon Magazine that was because it was such a good thing. Mm-hmm. I remember I was sitting in a in, I was sitting in a railway men's pub in London. I was fourteen at the time. Don't ask. I was reading this thing. I was reading away on it, and it had this story where these two people, this group of adventurers, came in, and one of them was dead, and the rest of them were alive. They were all miserable, and they sat down. They started telling this story, and this old guy in the corner is just going, "Idiots." What do you think you're doing taking on dragons? And they all got annoyed with him, and then they calmed him down, and these other two people came in. And they've got these dragon skins in the corner where they've skinned this dragon, and they're keeping the skin for everything. It's a like, terrible, terrible thing. But at the end of it, the old guy and the couple that were trying to make him not face off with the players went, so I think we've guessed your secret. They said, yeah? What do you think? I said, well, only another dragon would describe the taking of dragon skins as barbaric. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the guy turns around and goes, yeah, and I think you must have known them. You're both silver, aren't you? Mm. They went, yeah. yeah, yeah. How, do you, how do you know that? He said, because where you find silver, you often find gold. Mm. Beautiful. Wow. Absolutely beautiful. And these, these were just dragons that were wandering around in human form, mm-hmm. interacting with people, mm-hmm. because they couldn't do it in their own form. The Witcher, just recently, that thing where... Literally I, think I, think I think it was. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Because that moment of, no, I'd like you with me. 
Why? Because actually, you're the good guy. Yeah. Despite all the odds, you're the good guy. Mm-hmm. And we'd like you to help us. And wonderful. That moment of don't play it as a monster. It's just mm-hmm. a person. It's a person with wings and gigantic claws. It's a person. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's stepping beyond that. As we talked about last time with the whole what makes a monster, what makes a creature, you know, why is a reborn something else? But mm. isn't it? What makes a monster? Monstrous. I mean, for me, I, I love monsters. <laughs> I do. I, I love them. Yeah. Original DM's Guide, way back, had a series of random monster creation tables. Mm. So including which eyeballs it had and, you know, which which mouth it had and all sorts of other stuff. And I just, I, I never drew the buggers I can't draw. <laughs> but I spend forever rolling the buggers up going, yep, no problem. It's always got weird eyes and crippling hits and this. You know, does it include the stats? But no, no, I haven't got a clue. You have to make those up yourself. Yeah. This this isn't fifth edition. This mm-hmm. is make it up as you go along. We'll tell you what it looks like. You figure out what it does. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but stuff like that. With fifth edition and D&D Beyond, everything is so streamlined so that it's, it's accessible for people to just pick up and go. Yeah. But I think if people, the one thing I'd definitely take away from this is uh, going into either you know your own homebrew stuff or your uh, like an adventure that you picked up and you're about to run. Just taking that moment to be like, you know, it's called actioning for actors, where you you look at lines of yeah. dialogue that have been given and you go, well, what's the intention of each line? Yeah. And just giving uh, your creatures, uh, if they are in combat, what is their what is their flaws, bonds, mm-hmm. etc. But what is their intent and do they have an escape plan because usually the, the nemesis of the piece will probably have an escape plan because they they value their own lives and mm. yeah i just yeah and i will say the fate forge stuff is absolutely beautiful there's um on page i think it's one two one is this beautiful like um I'll pronounce it wrong. Gada, Gadai, the Pikpo cat, which is a beautiful like peacock. Oh, cat. Yes, yeah. beautiful peacock with a cat. I sent a picture up to my partner because I was like, "Yeah, this is this is one to send to you because it's gorgeous." <laughs> I, I love that one. But if if you like those, there's another one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was reading it earlier. Um, it's a cat spirit. Oh yes, they're like the fae creatures, aren't they? Yeah, so they look, right. they're, they're like they are fae fairies, but also look like cats. And I thought yeah. that is that is a cat summed up in one. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Like sort of little chaotic nature. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah and they have that, that little thing of yep, no problem. What's the worst that could? Ah, uh, well, what happens if it gets annoyed? And then you think, you know, if you've got a cat, there's that moment of yeah, actually, what if it gets annoyed? Well, John, we've run out of time, but thank you so mm. much. It's absolutely fascinating, and I will highly, highly recommend having a look through the Fate Forge stuff. Like again, with all things, you can just take the inspiration and then make your own characters mm. and, and flavor them in a way. But it's just, it's so nice to see such, like again for me, such an organized way of organizing yeah. your creatures that you want, but also the imagery. And I highly stress this enough. I know it's an audio podcast, but it's so nice to see simple line drawings that are colored or not. That are just. Oh, inspiring. I just, yeah, really, really love that. So thank you for introducing me to that. Oh, yeah. not at all. That's all my genuine pleasure. So, John, what are you up to, man? Where can we find you? Any big projects on the way? What's going on? Well, I'm still doing all the conventions. Mm-hmm. Nothing like it. <laughs> uh, but Drag Me this year, where hopefully we're going to be uh, premiering Pantheon. Yeah. Doing a variety of other goodies. Um, but yes, it's, it's been too long sitting in our own dungeons and not actually going out to see everyone else in their dungeons. Mm-hmm. and uh yeah so that, that's certainly in the press uh we've got a book coming out shortly mm-hmm. uh which you can find at lunar press it's just out water it's science fiction it's not fantasy and the monsters well they're um they're not orcs mm. let's put it that way but i'll leave that thought there um mm. but no it's it's been genuinely fun Fiona. thank you Oh, no, thank you. Well, I'll just quickly finish off as well. My name's Fiona, and this is... Uh, uh, this is? No, this is DM's Book Club. I've run another podcast. <laughs> you 
you can tell I do this all the time, John. I run another podcast. It's called the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast. It's going well. I've been asked to come onto a live stream uh, in mid February uh, for Wrath and Glory, which will Definitely. be mm, which I I'm looking mm. forward to. Absolutely Definitely. terrified, but you know me, I just I just put on a voice yeah. and I'll be great. <laughs> so of course you will. No. Never any question. Oops. Stop. I wasn't fishing for compliments, but I'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we hope to speak here. We'll be back soon. Yes. Done. Great. Bye. <laughs> Bye.